0: Hello, and welcome to Ask Dr. Dawn. The opinions expressed in this program are those of the speakers, and this is a program intended for education and entertainment. It should not be construed as a substitute for a medical consultation. Let me introduce to you all, and welcome to Ask Dr. Dawn, Cindy Jackanet, She's a volunteer with the Santa Cruz Cancer Benefit Group. Welcome, Cindy, and give me a sound level, please. Okay, how's this? That sounds like you are fine. You know, I looked through my emails every morning before the show, and I found your email, and it was very interesting to me. So I called you up and said, yes, I'm certainly happy to bring you on the show to talk about your event, which is a public service event. We'll tell you all about it this uh, this afternoon. But I have to tell you that when I was talking to Cindy, she said, do you remember I came to you as a patient once?
1: And of course, I didn't. And Cindy, tell us uh, tell us what you told me that I came to Dawn because I had a baker's cyst and it was so painful and impossible to walk. And I tried acupuncture before in my life and I said, I'm going to try it. I went to her one time and it was healed and gone. This is a true story. You can ask everybody in my family and it hasn't returned for six years. So thank you, Don. Well, you're welcome. And I just love
0: the acupuncture stories because, well, there's a whole lot of things that I was taught in medical school that, that are like, oh, you can't treat that. You just have to operate on it. And you know what? Taint necessarily so, as they say in uh, musical theater. So uh, tell us a little bit about yourself. You are obviously very engaged in
1: cancer support. Tell us about the Santa Cruz Cancer Benefit Group. So the Santa Cruz Cancer Benefit Group is a nonprofit organization, and it was founded in, I think it was 1999, by five Santa Cruz members who raised a glass to each other and said, we are going to dedicate our lives to helping people in Santa Cruz who are either suffering from um, cancer or going through cancer treatment, and we want to make sure we eradicate this disease from the planet. So they've been working hard to raise funds for various uh, beneficiary organizations in Santa Cruz. So I reached out to them to help uh, support Pancreatic Cancer Awareness Month and the concert that we're having, raising our voices for pancreatic cancer on November 19th.
0: All right. Well, this is uh, a group that... Supports other organizations as well. Can you tell us a little bit? I, I'm sure people
1: have heard of the Cats Cancer Center. Uh, tell us a little bit more about their work with them. So I I talked with the Cat Center and they were just honored and so grateful to the Santa Cruz Cancer Benefit Group because the Cat Center provides free um, counseling, free dietitian, free transportation, and support groups for Santa Cruz people in Santa Cruz or people who come to them from Santa Cruz. Area. So it's a very wonderful organization to have, and they benefit from funds from the Santa Cruz Cancer Benefit Group fundraising. And the Cancer Benefit Group, if I'm not mistaken, also funds research. Yes, the, they fund local research. They oh. fund research through um, UCSC, and their research has actually provided successful studies that have resulted in even more funding through the National Health Organization.
0: Now, as I understand it, uh, November 16th is International
1: Pancreatic Cancer Awareness Day. How long has that been around? So that's also been around since the late 1999, 1988, 1998. Uh, So Niagara Falls, they turn purple. They turn buildings throughout the world purple Purple is the color of uh, pancreatic cancer awareness month, and there's various online events that happen that day. And close to that day, uh, Los Angeles has a big gala. So I said, Santa Cruz, let's get aware. What can we do in Santa Cruz? And
0: I saw something when I looked at this about purple kites. Is that is that really a thing? You fly a purple kite? Is yeah, that, n- n- not here, but in England, it's a big. In, it's, it's, in England, in, yeah. they fly purple kites. For
1: pancreatic cancer awareness day, and uh, of course, this being, it could be here. Everybody on on the sixteenth, we could get down to the beach and fly purple kites. I I don't
0: know. It sounds to me like uh, like a real uh, what do they call that? A flash mob. I think we should uh, get out, get on our Instagram and our Twitter and see if we can't flash mob uh, kite flying. Uh, Anyone listening who's got better (laughs) social media chops than me, please feel free to take that on. We would love to hear from you. So let's talk about this upcoming event. I'm going to look at my lovely flyer. It has a picture of a a beautiful woman spreading her arms in song. She looks very much like the woman who played uh, Jenny Lind in The Greatest Show, actually, in this image. Uh, I'm not no earworms. That's that movie is just full of earworms. I will not do that to you. So Sunday, November nineteenth, raising voices for pancreatic cancer support, and this is at the Bargeto Winery uh, in Santa Cruz. Uh, and the doors open
1: at five p.m. Uh, people need an advance ticket for that. Is that right? Yes, tickets are limited, but they are available, and they are available now. So uh, you con- you contact Santa. S for Santa, C for Cruise, C for Cancer, B for Benefit, G for Group. So that's SCCBG.org to find all the ticketing and event information. Okay, so Sam Cat Cat Bob George. Gotcha. <laughs> Dot <org. It's> Faster.
0: <laughs> Besides, the more way you you spin it, and I tell us a little bit
1: about the artists who will be there. Uma Dobia is an Australian singer, and her brother lives in Santa Cruz. So the conversation came to, would you be interested in uh, performing a benefit in Santa Cruz? And she agreed, and she was excited about uh, performing in Santa Cruz. She's a soprano. She uh, sings with the Australian Contemporary Opera Group, and she just completed a concert with the um, Melbourne Fringe concert and she had online tickets, which, of course, our family bought. <laughs> and um, so she is is delightful. She will be singing opera songs, telling some stories between, and she'll be also singing show tunes. She'll be... Um, singing some Australian songs. And people said, there's Australian songs? <laughs> yes. <laughs> actually, yeah, think? <laughs> <laughs> actually, one of the, the, the cities she came from, not maybe the Australian songs you're thinking of, but the city she came from is Melbourne. And coincidentally, the international anthem for pancreatic cancer is, is Impressions of You. And it was written by Tony Hughes, a Melbourne composer. So that would be very special to have her singing that.
0: Oh, I bet. Yes, that's that's wonderful. Uh, I understand that you have a, a personal connection and uh, reason for emphasizing pancreatic care, uh, cancer awareness,
1: which you care to share. What you're comfortable sharing with us? It's interesting. You know, it's right now. I'm getting emotional. Mm-hmm. Um, so this journey began uh, began of raising awareness with my neighbor. Donna Hutchinson, and it's been since 2020. Well, she was she's, obviously a very dear friend. She was a very dear friend and a neighbor, and a and a loving mother and a a loving wife, and so active in her professional life as a physical therapist, taking people's pain away. Mm-hmm. A healer, a, a healer, and she was a photographer. Her bird pictures are just incredible. And she was this healthy, vibrant woman, full of just a zest for life. And then it was like in one day, you know, she was getting burping and some pains. And so fast, uh, this wicked disease just um, took, its, took its toll and took her from us. So this is to honor her. And there will be many guests who will we'll shout, we'll shout out our names of the people we want to honor at this concert. I think that uh, PANCAN is uh,
0: something I want to talk about a little bit. It's the Pancreatic Cancer Action Network. This was founded back in 1998. A lot happened in the late 90s. And they worked to have this Pancreatic Cancer Awareness Day. And they were all strangers. And they met in an Internet chat room for people who had lost loved ones to pancreatic cancer. And I think, you know, going back to the late 90s, that was the moment for internet chat rooms that was that was really a, a special moment it was before facebook and the various large social media companies kind of moved in on it and we had things like america online and it spawned a thousand chat rooms uh, and i i had such hope for the internet back then because i felt it really served to bring people together you know i i must say that my early hopes have Not been met, but organizations like this remind me of that that moment when it really seemed like it could be a a great collaborative force for good, almost exclusively. Anyway, they worked uh, to get this done in all fifty states, so they must have been had some pretty
1: powerful and uh, big organizers. And do do you want to say more about that, please? They're still a very vibrant organization, and I actually went to them first with this idea for a concert to raise awareness. But their fundraising is really an event called Purple Stride, and that takes place in the spring, and it's a a walk for pancreatic cancer support. They are a wonderful organization for people to get counseling, um, online counseling, um, in person, and they're also an organization that supports research. Very good. They have a Silicon Valley section and I would love to bring and start a Santa Cruz section of their organization that hasn't, you know, that that's a long way in the future.
0: Well, to the extent that anyone is interested in connecting with Cindy, Jacanette, you can let me know through the Ask Dr. Don website or 45 minutes to on air at ksqd.org. If you have a story that you would like to share, we would love to hear about it. This is the third most deadly cancer in the United States. We're going to be doing a little bit of additional uh, education about it. That'll take the next quarter of the program, I think. But before we go any further, all right, so getting back to pancreatic cancer, let's talk about what the pancreas is in the first place because, I mean, everybody's heard of it. I mean, there's St. Pancreas in uh, England, for example, famous church. Don't ask. I have no idea. But uh, the pancreas is an organ in your abdomen, and it sits just behind your stomach. It's actually sort of dead center in your body for the most part, which is one of the reasons it's a problem. It's uh, it's shaped like a bosque pear, pretty much, uh, with a long neck, and it's about six inches long. And it does two things, actually. It has the exocrine pancreas. Exocrine means uh, that it doesn't release into your bloodstream, and the exocrine pancreas makes lipase and protease and proteins, as enzymes that break down fat, and is and the pancreas has a, a tube or a duct that comes out of it, and that unites with the gallbladder duct, and then the two of them uh, travel happily together for another inch or two into the upper small intestine. And when you eat, there's a hormone that's released in your stomach and your brain that stimulates the pancreas, and there's a delay so that about the time food hits the small intestine, the stomach starts to empty, roughly 45 minutes after you eat dinner, that's when all these juices flow in and when everything works uh, right, it's like an automatic washing machine with a cycle to put in the fabric softener and a spin cycle and a rinse cycle and it all works beautifully and um, what comes out at the other end is pure waste product and something like 50% dead bacteria if you have a healthy microbiome which is just a crazy amount of bacteria when you stop and think about it. But anyway, you need the pancreas to br- the exocrine function to bring down sugar, fatty acids and starch. And if you don't have good pancreatic function, you get a kind of diarrhea that's really rancid smelling, and that's called uh, malabsorption, fat malabsorption diarrhea. Happens sometimes in people with pancreatic diseases, chronic pancreatitis or autoimmune diseases. But the pancreas's other job is to give you insulin. And without insulin, you die. There's, uh, sometimes you'll get, a, a cancer of the insulin part of the pancreas. This is called an insulinoma. And people will show up with really low blood sugar. And, uh, that's treated by removing the oma. It is not, however, a malignant cancer. In general, if a cancer is making something as complicated as a, as a shape, like the ins- hormone insulin, it's actually just an, just, an out-of-control factory, but it's not going to spread. On the other hand, pancreatic cancer of the exocrine pancreas is very likely to spread. And part of the reason for that is that we find it late because, again, it's buried in the middle of the body and really difficult to see. In fact, if you do a CT scan on someone, you may miss it if it's, sm- if it's an inch or smaller across or if the person just has gas in their bowel in front of the pancreas because the pancreas is behind a whole bunch of stuff and it can be occluded literally by a cloud of gas in the bowel. Prognosis for pancreatic cancer is really poor and uh, over 64,000 people in the United States are diagnosed uh, every year and most of them will die from the disease and it's the third or fourth most leading cause of cancer related death and depending on how you count it uh, i've seen both statistics even if you find early disease with node negative tumors the best this the 5 year survival after surgery which is itself a big surgery is only about 25 to 30% for er, for the very earliest stage of cancer, it's about twenty. It's about up to thirty seven percent for stage one a tumors, but that's still as cancer survival goes really pretty dismal. And the five year survival, if you have a positive node, is ten percent. And the problem with pancreatic cancer is that most of the cases are are already in a, a node when they're found. Only fifteen to twenty percent are resected resectable uh, at presentation, they go into the blood vessels really early, and part of that has to do with the fact that the cells themselves are not, uh, not very sticky. In fact, the pancreas is one of the hardest organs in the world to, or in the body, not in the world, uh, to operate on because it's basically a bag of enzymes that dissolve protein. So if you cut into part of that bag and it spills into the abdomen, you'll start dissolving your bowel, which is not good. And uh what we it part of that looseness and that uh, kind of jelly-like quality also means that the cancers spread very easily because the cells just don't stick together all that well in the first place, and as they become cancerous, they stick together even less well there are about 20% of cancers uh, pancreatic cancers occur in people with genetic predispositions and we'll talk about that a little later on but I want to talk about your risk factors and what you can do about them and your biggest risk factor besides picking the wrong parents which you know so sad too late for that uh, is smoking and if you are and there's plenty of data about this about somewhere anywhere from ten to thirty-two percent of pancreatic cancer deaths are directly related to tobacco as the only risk factor, and your relative risk of developing pancreatic cancer is uh, one point five, so one and a half times the population. And if you're a heavy smoker, it's even heavier. And there's a particular genetic mutation, which, by the way, you can pull out of your twenty-three and Me. So if you are a smoker and you've done a twenty-three and Me, I'm about to tell you. How to really find out if you want to stop right now? There is a mutation in, um, you know, I love mutations and I love genetics, so it's called GSTT1. It stands for glutathione S transferase theta one, and if you, this is a, and this is an enzyme that helps fight cancer across the board. It's a major antioxidant, and it protects DNA. Glutathione. You will have seen glutathione possibly at the health food store. It's expensive. It's hard to package. It gets destroyed in the gut unless you uh, have a very sophisticated technology for preventing it from being destroyed. A lot of alternative physicians will actually give glutathione infusions because you can give it IV. If you have this mutation, your risk for for a current smoker is quite high. But it goes down quickly if you stop smoking. So by two years after you stop smoking, the risk has dropped by 48%. And when you get to 10 years after stopping smoking, your risk is the same as the general population. So quitting smoking is modestly estimated to eliminate 25% of pancreatic cancer deaths in the United States. I just want to say that again. If everybody who smokes right now quit smoking, we would see a 25% drop of pancreatic cancer deaths in 10 years without any further technological advancement. Now, of course, we'll be talking about technological advancement because almost as much as genetics, I love you know cool science. Another risk factor, and again, these are not additive but multiplicative, is being overweight. So if you are Clinically obese, which means having a BIM over 30 kilograms, uh, a, a BMI of over 30 kilograms meter squared, you have a risk, a relative risk of 1.72. In other words, worse than smoking. And smoking is big. This is one of the reasons why we are seeing an increase in pancreatic cancer across the board and seeing it in younger people, because people are getting obese younger, some as early as grade school and therefore they have this risk for longer and just like with colon cancer we're seeing it earlier and younger and worse more aggressive so these are things that we can turn around and moderate physical activity actually is really helpful and if you weigh more than uh, when you have a bmi of more than 25 and it keeps getting better when you go up if you just walk for 20 20 minutes a day brisk walk you reduce your cancer, your relative risk uh, substantially if you're overweight. So uh, you, you cut it in half, so you're back to almost the same risk. The other thing is a Western dietary pattern, particularly smoked or processed meats. If you eat more fruits and vegetables and just walk 20 minutes a day, you substantially lower your risk of this very bad disease that we can't find early. Alcohol and alcohol and coffee use have been implicated in some studies, but recent research suggests that's not a big deal. but diabetes and insulin resistance is a huge risk factor for pancreatic cancer, and I have a low threshold for working that up in people who have uh, who have uh, obesity and any kind of index symptoms. Well, let's continue with just a little bit more remarks on. Uh, the diabetes because there's a ton of data on this. Part of it may be an artifact that some early cases of pancreatitis, uh, well, some cases of early or unusually unexpected diabetes. So diabetes, for example, in a person who's very thin or normal weight, uh, diabetes in a person developing in their sixties uh, is another one where it looks like there that the pancreas, the pancreas cancer may actually induce what's called a perineoplastic syndrome, which means the cancer releases weird chemicals that do weird things. Sometimes it causes cognitive defects, but in this particular case, it uh, p- the pancreas releases exosomes, which are little, well, basically little membranes, cont- like little Ziploc baggies containing liquid, in this case, a hormone, a peptide hormone called adrenomodulin, it reduces insulin production, so if you've got the cancer making this thing, you will develop type one point five or type one uh diabetes and also adult onset diabetes because you're which is type two because you aren't making as much insulin as you should be, and that's what type, and so those can be difficult to differentiate uh unless you check for them. Maybe that's part of the statistics, but there is another study that I came across that said that, you know, this was a study done in Finland um, and they were looking at vitamin E and vitamin A for preventing lung cancer in smokers, but they also monitored for pancreatic cancer and they also monitored for uh, diabetics and they were watching that. And what they found was insulin resistance and high glucose and high insulin all were significantly correlated with pancreatic cancer. But this study... It was five years before the cancer was detected. So that really reduces the idea. It argues against the idea that uh, the pancreatic cancer is causing the diabetes and that that's blowing our statistics. So at this point, we're trying to figure out should we be doing CT scan screening for early detection of pancreatic cancer in adults with new onset diabetes? And we'll be talking about new things on the horizon but the real problem with this is finding it. So uh, I'm bringing it back to Cindy Jackanet to remind us again about this wonderful program for pancreatic cancer that's coming up later this month on
1: uh, November 19th. Thank you, Don, And I've already so filled with gratitude that you have brought such awareness this evening to pancreatic cancer. I've never heard of the gene marker, GSTDI, when I leave here, I will be calling the people I know who smoke and say, please get this this test. The people who started Santa Cruz Cancer Benefit Group started the group to say, let's find positive ways to channel our frustrations with cancer into community events. So on November 19th, Sunday, November 19th, from uh, 5 to 8, we are having Raising Voices for Pancreatic Cancer Support at Bargetto Winery and it features singer Uma Dobia from Australia. It features local pianist accompanist Marina Thomas from Watsonville. She's amazing. And we have a special guest to open the evening. That's Jasper Garrett and he will be playing some of his original compositions as well as jazz and other selections of his choice. In addition to the music, we have a community event that offers appetizers and a selection of seasonal appetizers. And we have wine, selections of wine from Bargetto Winery. And for the people who are not um, feeling like drinking in the evening, we have Martinelli Cider Tasting from the Generosity of Martinelli Cider. We also have a raffle, and uh, one of our raffle prizes is... A local Santa Cruz resort, luxury resort with a fabulous review, fabulous view of the ocean. And I'll keep you wondering about that as well as other raffle prizes, um, including a gardener's, special gardener's um, box, um, gift certificates, and uh, local designer items.
0: Wow. And I was just uh, looking at my beautiful brochure here and I saw a dessert. Dessert, yes. Dessert. You have. left out
1: dessert. I left out dessert. How did I do that? <laughs> I, I,
0: I don't know. And I uh, I do want to remind people that purple is the color for pancreatic cancer awareness. So if I can manage to go there, I'm going to have to go through my uh, costume closet and find something fabulous. And I highly recommend that if you go, you wear purple, or, or, or at least... Bring a purple kite with you to wave around or a little
1: purple flag or something. (laughs) A little little purple scarf. We've been having a debate of people who've been getting tickets of, you know, do we wear purple? And we've just decided wear what you're comfortable in, wear warm, though it is very special. It's in the cellar. It's not a place where the public goes. Usually it's where you can only go basically with special events. Mm -hmm. And they have a petite Grand Piano there. Uh, It also has a deck overlooking Soquel Creek, which will have heat lamps and comfortable seating. So the evening promises to be a a special event and a special place and dress warmly. Mm, And the the raffle has some really cool prizes. You were telling me
0: about... Uh, about some of them. Do you want to... Uh, you, while we were getting ready for
1: the show, you got a message on your phone. Uh, and please tell us. You yes, know. We, we decided the stars were in our favor because right before the show, the person... Who, there's so many people who are working on this event, which I want to shout out that you learn about your community. You learn how giving people are. And one of the people who was um, getting a donation from a local resort with a fabulous view. Just two minutes before the show, I got a text. It, they okayed our request, and so it'll be one of the auction items. Uh, we also have a local scarf designer. And this is the local Santa Cruz address. That's the local Santa Cruz address, right? Yeah. yeah. With a fabulous
0: view, did you say?
1: It has a fabulous
0: view. Oh, well, I mean, I, I can't imagine. <laughs> <laughs> and it's a resort. Wow, okay. Well, um, that's a tough one. Let's just thank uh, everyone who's participated in this, and I want to really encourage people to go to that website and buy a ticket. It's sccbg.org, and that's Santa Cruz Cancer Benefit
1: Group. So easy to remember, just rolls off the tongue. And if I could just add, the brochure is beautiful. You'll see it around town, Um, a woman's arms extended, raising voice. And I want to thank Amanda Lambert who I didn't even know before this event. I saw one of her other brochures walked in, and she has spent hours creating this and just did a beautiful job. I agree. It It's very professional and, and all
0: donated. very engaging. Moving back to pancreatic cancer, I had mentioned that it's usually detected late, and part of the problem is because of it's so deep in the body, and there really aren't a lot of, There are a lot of symptoms that people get prior to diagnosis, but the problem is these symptoms are so nonspecific. And if you go and look in, uh, well, basically half of these symptoms, uh, I would say three-quarters of these symptoms are among the most common reasons people go to the doctor. So that makes it really difficult. And I looked up uh, the predictive value of symptoms, and we'll talk about uh, talk about that right now, because uh, the symptoms that are most common are pain and abdominal pain is is a common symptom, and jaundice is a common symptoms, and weight loss and feeling tired. So, like I said, this does not differentiate it from so many other things. And as I've said, it's hard to find. So typically what we will do with someone with jaundice, and particularly if their pain's characteristic, uh, we'll go ahead and start with an ultrasound uh, because it's cheap and I can get it quickly. But ultrasounds do miss anything smaller than two centimeters, and so their yield is low. And I've already mentioned there's problems with CT scans. So it's hard to find. It's hard to diagnose. And the typical pain, though, I think it's worth mentioning, it comes on gradually. It's usually present for at least a couple months before it gets bad enough to go to the doctor. And it has a kind of gnawing quality to it. So I would consider that as a sort of deep, low-grade, cramping pain that just doesn't really get worse most of the time with movement but it can be worse when you eat or when you lie flat on your back. And it's usually worse at night. So that's about all we've got. It can radiate, but this is not specific. And as I, I've already talked about the early, uh, the early thing, it's, uh, often the curable cases are found because the person gets a CT scan for some other reason. And I have a long-term pancreatic su- survivor in my practice, who actually I treated with the acupuncture because she had a lot of difficulty uh, with recovery from the surgery. It's a big surgery. And we she also uh, got some preventative chemotherapy, but that was also something that gave her trouble. And she made it through and is one of that 15% survivors. Haven't seen her for a while, but she got through uh, very well. But, you know, this... The symptoms just have to have a very low predictive uh, value. So, for example, if a patient shows up with uh, jaundice, it has a predictive value of 22%. If an older patient comes in, to, if they're 60 and above, and they come in and they're yellow, the probability that they have pancreatic cancer is one out of five. And that's the best symptom we've got. It's a needle in the haystack problem And there's nothing particularly characteristic about it. Sudden weight loss would be another one to really watch out for. And so I would suggest in anyone who's having sudden weight loss uh, to get a, you know, that, that the physicians and the nurses think about getting that ultrasound and maybe also checking their blood for liver enzymes, bilirubin, and alkaline phosphatase because those are sometimes elevated. But again, this doesn't really help us find uh, the disease. Uh, I believe Cindy said that she asked her doctor about a test that uh, might help predict it, and and your doctor suggested serum lipase, which is the test we use for pancreatitis. But after looking at the predictive value of this test, I have to tell you that it's really not very good. And uh, that's that's really disappointing uh, to both of us. Uh, but one of the things that I did did see that offered a little bit of you know a light at the end of the tunnel on this was the fact that pancreatic cancer does produce uh, certain compounds and has certain genetic mutations much more commonly, and that looking at blood or serum for those could have uh, could have value. Uh, Cindy, you mentioned that you had heard about a company some years ago that, or I, I actually don't know how long ago it was, that was working on a blood
1: test. Uh, can you tell us more about that? Sure. My friend Donna had none of the symptoms you're hearing tonight. She was, uh, you know, very fit. She was very zestful of life. And so I thought, what is very important in the pancreatic cancer Action Network feels is early detection tests. So I went on a search for early detection tests and found out that there actually is one in development and it's um, through Grail and through Illumina. So I decided this would be very good for me to be a socially aware investor and I would invest in Illumina. And then it turns out that those two companies are a bit at odds. (laughs) And so my my, uh, brother said, don't invest in the companies, you know. Invest in the research. and And my brother's coming to the event. He's coming to the <laughs> November nineteenth event. Approves of this as a as a real way to to invest your time and energy.
0: Well, there's another way that you can invest in pancreatic uh, cancer awareness and also funding, and that's because of we. I believe our previous speaker in Talk of the Bay alluded. To the budget, and that's something that
1: you can do for political action. Do you uh, care to explain that? Cindy? Absolutely. There's in the the budget that we're all holding our breath again on. Um, there's two hundred million dollars that is allocated for pancreatic cancer research, um, for early detection tests, for for treatment, and you can call your senators. You can call your Congress to make sure that that funding stays. And that is a major um, hope of the organizations, too. People from the organizations are calling, and, and you can join that call.
0: Well, I, uh, I want to encourage everyone to do that. I was talking to a doctor in the physician's lounge at Dominican today, and he was uh, talking about uh, a different topic, but about the importance of political action and he was going to give Jimmy Panetta a call and talk about the fact that the Health and Human Services is proposing a 4% cl- uh, cut in physician reimbursement. And uh, he, I had also heard from another doctor earlier on that no one in town can find an, a doctor if they're Medicare. There's just nobody taking new Medicare. And pe- doctors' practices are full, of course, You know, we're trying to grow some new doctors, but our production line is three years on that. So uh, it it makes a whole lot of sense to cut reimbursement when you're trying to encourage people to take more patients on at at reduced rates. It's It's just that's so clever, and especially since everybody else is getting more money. (laughs) So I, I don't know, but let's see if we can't shake the, you know, rattle the bars on the cage on this pancreatic cancer. Funding
1: and and I and I was second rattling the bars on Medicare. You know, we have an, a situation in our family where uh, to get a doctor on Medicare is difficult, and to get our government saying there needs to be acceptance for Medicare patients by doctors, right? And
0: that there's if you are losing money on on the the, the patient, uh, and you have the ever increasing overhead and administrative burden that particularly primary care do- doctors suffer under. It's, you know, at some point you just have to, have to say, you know, no margin, no mission, and maybe retire. And a lot of doctors retired uh, between that and COVID and uh, the short staff. It's, it's not as good as it should be to be a physician in the country, particularly in any kind of primary care service. But enough about that, because compared to having pancreatic cancer, that is a first world problem. But I do want to talk about this. Uh, circulating uh, tumor DNA idea. And we we now know that that cancers leak DNA, and some of that DNA is DNA that is only seen in cancer cells, and that we are now able to grow that DNA, amplify it to the point where we can read it, similar to the scores for hepatitis C, where, where AIDS, where HIV, we give you a, uh, a viral load. Well, we can now give you a cancer load or a sense that you either got a cancer or a precancer, and pancreatic cancer would seem to be one of the ones you would really definitely want to look at. And that's when we come to this this KRAS gene. So uh, I want to talk just a little bit about KRAS. So KRAS is one of the most frequently mutated genes. And this is a gene that leads to an abnormal amount of a protein Product, and this uh, protein product stimulates the growth of cancer cells. It is a uh, it it is a driver gene, as they call it, and it's almost invariably found in uh, cancer. There's also a few other genes uh, in pancreatic cancer. Uh, there are some tumor suppressor genes. You'll be you'll be familiar with tumor suppressive genes in the form of BRCA1 and BRCA2 for breast cancer. Those genes also are associated with uh, pancreatic cancer, and people who have a history of BRCA1, BRCA2 should definitely receive very thorough screening for pancreatic cancer uh, if they show any sign whatsoever of having the disease. And if we ever get this kind of testing, where we can just check their blood once a year. And if we see something, go after it right away with the best imaging that we've got. And even in what they call endo, uh, they, they, they basically do endoscopic ultrasound. So they'll stick an endoscope down and get right up next to the pancreas and run an ultrasound on it and try to find and try to visualize the cancer. And that's, that's in that's a hard thing to do you have to sedate the patient we can't afford to do it on everybody nor should we because there'll be more complications than people we find but it's super important. Uh this one I I thought was interesting there's a gene called FAM that people with or that people with multiple myeloma multiple myeloma syndrome and the, people who have this families with this syndrome have a 34 increased risk of pancreatic cancer thirty four uh, fold increased risk, which is just huge uh, there's a couple of other genes that convey, that convey very, very high risk in t- uh, the brca one the BRCA two I already mentioned that's a ten fold cancer risk, and there's a disease that's called Poitz jeghers syndrome it's a mutation in uh, a gene i won't. we won 't worry about it, but people who have this get pigmented. Uh, spots on their lips and their buccal mucosa, and they do get more uh, gastrointestinal cancers, but they have a lifetime risk of pancreatic cancer of 36%. So I don't know how many primary care doctors are aware of these risks associated with these familial cancer syndromes. The most common one is Lynch syndrome, and this is a, a syndrome where people don't repair their... Uh, it's a, They don't repair their DNA well, so they get more mutations. Lynch syndrome is called hereditary non-polyposis colorectal cancer, so the, the, the risks of colorectal cancer are very high. But the risk of pancreatic cancer is also extremely high in people who have this syndrome. And the idea is if you've got a family history of certain cancers, not pancreatic cancer, mind you, but these other odd cancers, your primary care doctor is the only person who's going to keep this in their head. You don't have an oncologist. And if they've taken a good family history, I mean, the doctor hopefully has gotten something like, yeah, there's this Lynch syndrome in my family. And so you're getting a colonoscopy on them for every couple of years. But I wouldn't have thought, and I don't remember ever being told that I also need to be alert for pancreatic cancer. So I think I'm going to do a, uh, a presentation to the medical staff about this as part of our uh, part of my donation or participation in the pancreatic cancer
1: awareness effort. You are making my heart sing. This is exactly what we want is to build awareness. I've studied this disease a lot and I've learned more tonight. So much more. Well, thank you Don well let's thank the uh,
0: Dominican Hospital Medical Library access to up to date because that's how I spend my afternoon but nevertheless I I pulled a lot of pearls here and I do think that uh, a presentation or a maybe a poster presentation uh, at one of the annual meetings of primary care doctors would be an informative one would be a really good idea so we can we can talk about that later and maybe get some collaboration and yeah, it would be nice if the uh, cancer awareness people paid for the production of the poster or something like that. I,
1: you know, the funds from this yeah. event may well be spent that way. Or at
0: least, uh, well, I, I think I'm going to go and uh, wear purple sequins if I can find any. I would love it. <laughs> All right, we're going to take uh, the last few minutes of the program and do some emails because I really like to get back to people right away. We had an email today from uh, Judy in Columbus, Ohio. Uh, Can vaccination save your brain is the subject. Uh, so she writes, the October AARP bulletin featured an article, Can Vaccination Save Your Brain? Looking for your opinion on the article overall, but especially related to the shingles vaccine. Quitting from the article, we believe that our analysis provides compelling evidence that shingles vaccination prevents or delays dementia in the older age groups. Judy goes on to say, I've had my annual senior flu shot and every COVID version vaccine available to me to date. I've not had the shingles vaccine. Should I get it? For your information, thank you very much, Judy, for this information. I am 72, general good health, last COVID vaccine, October 13th, 2023, tested Positive for COVID October 31st. Uh, after spending time with a friend who ended up with COVID, mostly moderate cold symptoms, nothing more. Yeah, that's why we like our vaccines. Love your show. Thanks so much for extending, uh, sharing your extensive knowledge in such a relatable way. So, Judy, I was intrigued by this, and I, I tend to rain on Shingrix a little bit, probably too much. But in the context of this, I I did find an article, nothing on Shingrix yet, but that's because it takes time to generate data on a long latency disease like shingles. You have to wait for people to get it in their control group and in the treatment group and then compare them. And so uh, I haven't found anything about Shingrix yet, but I searched on Zostavax, which is the old shingles vaccine, and found a study that was just recently published it started in 2013, and so they went, and it was published in 2020. So they went seven years, and they saw a improvement in the number of cases of shingles in people who received the Zostavax vaccine. But they also saw a lesser number of cases of dementia. That's really good news. What they calculated after looking back after seven years, they had a good control group. An interesting natural experiment that happened in Wales is because they have a national health, they can make arbitrary decisions. And they made the arbitrary decision that anybody who was born before September 2nd, 1933, would not get the Zostavax vaccine paid for by the state. Uh, they would be pro- prohibited from getting it, in fact, but anyone who was born after that could get it. And so they had two cohorts with not minimal separation in age, but some separation. So obviously the control group was a little older, which, of course, age is a risk factor for shingles. So we have to discount the data, but they got a 3% variation in hit rate, in dementia rates over three years. This is not a, pl- a true placebo trial but it's still persuasive because that's twenty percent reduction in risk three percent less cases it works out to twenty percent reduction in relative risk that's one fifth that's decent. There is other evidence that in particularly in mice that herpes viruses and that could be oral herpes simplex uh, the other you know genital herpes uh, and the uh, and shingles the chickenpox virus. But what they found there was increased beta amyloid formation. It actually stimulates, uh, herpes virus stimulates production of beta amyloid. M- most viruses probably do do this because beta amyloid, oddly enough, is acting like an antibody in the brain. And it's sticky and it's grabbing the, the viruses, but it's also folding in a, in a funny way. And that protein is hard for the brain to dispose of and it accumulates in cells and is a marker for Alzheimer's disease. Although we have some evidence that maybe it's not the cause, it's more of a cofactor. But nevertheless, taking suppressive Valtrex to reduce your risk of herpes virus uh, is something that I've been doing now for easily a decade. Uh, Just 500 milligrams of Valacyclovir every day, like a vitamin pill, uh, i haven't gotten any attacks but i also feel like i'm probably protecting myself and i'm persuaded that the that the risk to my body of taking of suppressing oral herpes is nothing that i need to worry about compared to possibly reducing my lifetime accumulation of beta amyloid so uh yeah i think it makes sense to get the shingrix vaccine but i do have a little bit of advice for you First of all, don't listen to the pharmacy about coming back in a month for another shot. That is too soon, and you will you will be tired and achy with a very high probability. So you can wait up to six months, and it, the older you are, the longer I suggest you wait for your second booster Shingrix shot. They'll try to get you right back in because they're looking to capture the reimbursement for the vaccine. Uh, you don't have to play. But you can wait. And I would say four months if you want to be, if you're worried, but at least that long to let your body deal with the inflammatory reaction that the Shingrix is deliberately designed to cause in order to get a good antibody change. Okay, got it, but you don't have to get it. The other thing I want you to do is take a hot bath and sweat. So Epsom salts, hot bath after you get that shot. So a couple hours later, Get in there, sweat for five or ten minutes. I want sweat pouring off your forehead. It will reduce the amount of aches and pains and flu-like symptoms from vaccines. Uh, believe me, I've had the opportunity to testify this with many patients in the last few years, and uh, it works. So, if there's no medical contraindication to heat, let's do it. I want to thank, I want to thank you, Cindy, so much for coming on the program. We've been interviewing
1: with. Uh, and I'm so bad with names. I'm sorry. I'm Cindy Jackanette. Jack and I'm and with N- the Santa Cruz Cancer Benefit Group. And we are having a concert and special event on November 19th from 5 to 8 at Bargetto Cellars. So tickets and information are at sccbg.org. Thank you so much. And thank you for being here. Well, that's about all
0: for this week's podcast. Please go to AskDrDawn.com for news about our future plans or follow my tweets at, at AskDR Dawn. For now, this is Dr. Dawn saying so long and stay healthy.
1: Ask Dr. Dawn is brought to you by Jiva Media. Production and editing by Charles Mansky, music by John Scoville.